This morning, we're continuing a brief series on the book of Philemon. And before we read, just a brief refresher on the background. Paul, Paul, the great apostle, the great evangelist, the well-known Paul, he writes this letter while he's in prison. And Paul writes the letter to Philemon. That's where we get the title of the book. And Philemon is a wealthy and influential guy. And Paul writes the letter to Philemon about Onesimus. And Onesimus is a slave who belongs to Philemon but has run away from him. With that background, let's read from Philemon. We'll read from verse 8 to verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is God's word for us this morning. In this sermon, we'll be talking about four different people, four different characters in this text. We'll start with Onesimus, and then Paul, and Philemon, and then we'll have one more at the end. So first, Onesimus. Calvin and Hobbes is a classic comic strip, and Calvin is this incredibly creative and also destructive little boy. Often those two things are sides of the same coin, right? And Hobbes is Calvin's tiger. And the comic strip intentionally never makes it quite clear if Hobbes is a stuffed animal or a real tiger. Calvin and Hobbes. And in one story arc, Calvin and Hobbes start this secret club and they need a place to meet for their secret club. And Calvin decides they're going to meet in his parents' garage. But when they go into the garage, there's a problem. His mom's car is in the garage, so there's no space. So Calvin says, well, that's fine. We'll just, we'll just push the car into the driveway. And Hobbes, the voice of reason, says, shouldn't we ask your mom to move the car instead? And Calvin says, no, she won't care if we push it out. Come on. So they start pushing the car, and it rolls out of the garage. And you can probably see where this is going. And it rolls onto the driveway. And then it rolls down the driveway and keeps rolling down the driveway and is going faster and faster. And Calvin and Hobbes panic and start chasing it. And it rolls down the driveway across the street and into the ditch. Crunch. And that's the sound in the comic strip. Grunch. Calvin and Hobbes cross the street. They stand there and they stare at the car in the ditch for a minute. And then one of them says, oh man, what do you suppose a car like this costs? I bet it's at least $75. And so they panic. 
And Calvin runs back into the house and says, Hi, Mom, uh, do I have any clean clothes? J- just asking. And, and I'm going to make several dozen sandwiches. I'm really hungry. And Mom, don't just stay where you are. There's no need to get up. Really, don't look out the window. Like, for 10 minutes, just don't move. And Calvin and Hobbes get their stuff together, and they run away. And they run, and they run, and they run, and they stop for breath. And then they talk about what just happened and how mad Calvin's parents are going to be. And then they run, and they run, and they run. And at some point, they hear what they think is a bear coming after them. So they climb a tree, and then they realize it's Calvin's mom coming after them. And Calvin screams, that's even worse than a bear. Go higher, higher. That's our impulse when we've done wrong, right? Get away. Run away. Find a place of safety. Get out of town before things really fall apart. And that's what Onesimus had been doing. We don't know all the details, but we do know that Onesimus was a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon, and he had run far away. And by the way, we're going to talk about slavery in a couple weeks, so I'm not going to get much into it now. But for today, slavery's wrong, all right? Slavery's wrong. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But for today, this is the situation. Onesimus is a runaway slave. And we can assume that he didn't leave well, so to speak. Slaves often ran away in the ancient world, and when they did, they usually broke stuff or stole stuff on the way out. So we can be pretty sure there are hard feelings. Onesimus is probably not happy with Philemon because he ran away from him. Philemon is probably not happy with Onesimus because he ran away from him. And now let me add a little wrinkle here that you might have picked up from the text that we read for today. In the ancient world, they didn't really have much of a postal service. So if you wanted to send a letter, you had to give it to someone to bring to someone else. And Onesimus is most likely, almost certainly, the person that Paul had delivered this letter to Philemon. Onesimus, the runaway slave, has to take this letter back to his former master. Really, to his current master and let's put ourselves in that situation for a minute we've run away that didn't go over well we're pretty sure and now we're told you have to go back voluntarily you have to go back what would make us do that what would make a runaway slave voluntarily go back The only way that could possibly happen is because Onesimus was sure of his safety. And he could not, could not be sure of his physical safety. Philemon could do whatever he wanted to a runaway slave who came back. But Onesimus is not so worried about that anymore because he's been transformed. He's not the same person he used to be. And Paul puts that down in the letter. Let me read from verse 11 again. Paul says, Formerly he, that's Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. The name Onesimus actually means useful. Useful. So that's what Paul is playing around with in that verse. This guy who was useless 
This guy who betrayed you, this guy who had just no earthly value, now he's useful. Now he's someone of worth because he belongs to Jesus. And because he belongs to Jesus, because because Paul has shared the gospel with him and he's owned it as his own, Onesimus is willing to face the music. He's been running and running and running, but now... In Christ, he's ready to do what's right. He's ready to go back and submit to his master, even though it will be hard. He can do what he needs to do because he knows that the Lord values him. And the Lord values us too. The Lord values us too. And because of that, we can be useful to him. We can serve him. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to stop our running away from the hard things in our lives and instead take the hard steps that God is calling us to? Are we ready to do the hard things that God calls us to do? For some of us that might be seeking reconciliation in a broken relationship. For some of us it might be It might be submitting to an authority figure, even though we really don't want to. For some of us, it might be being more assertive. It might be calling someone on something that we've just been letting slide. The Lord values us. We are safe in Him. And He calls us to do hard things. Let's go to our second character for today, Paul. So there's a small plane just go with it. There's a small plane on a flight with five people in it. There's a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, and a kid. All right? Pilot, doctor, lawyer, pastor, little kid. And they develop engine trouble. And the pilot does everything he can. And then he says, guys, we're going down. And I need to survive so I can tell people what went wrong with the plane so this doesn't happen to anyone else. And the pilot grabs a parachute and jumps out. And the other four people on the plane, after they recover from their shock, realize that there are four of them and only three parachutes left. And the doctor is quickest on the uptake. He says, I've saved hundreds of people. I'm going to save hundred more. I'm sorry, guys. I'm jumping. And he jumps out. The lawyer goes next. You know, I'm really at the top of my profession. I am, I am good at what I do, and I am one of the smartest people in the world. So, guys, I'm taking a parachute. i got to survive. The lawyer jumps out. The pastor and the little kid look at each other for a second. The pastor says, you know, I know where I'm going. You take the parachute, you jump, I'll go down with the plane. It'll be okay. And the kid smiles and said, thanks, I I really appreciate that. But the uh, smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. (laughs) We're good. We still got two parachutes. Now, a potential moral for that story that I thought of this week that I'd never thought of before, if you're in a plane that's going down and a pastor's in the plane with you, don't jump out before he does. Keep that in mind. All right. The pilot, the doctor, the lawyer in that story, they're all really grabby, right? They're all standing on their rights. They've got their justifications to do what they want to do. I got to survive. I'm special. Give me what I'm due. And you know, that's what people usually do, and that's honestly what we usually do. 
We know how important we are, and we act like it. And you know, if we made a spiritual graph, a spiritual chart of of the value spiritually of the different people involved in the situation, it would be a dumb thing to do. But if we did it, Paul's spiritual value would be off the charts, right? I mean, this is an apostle. This is a guy who's evangelizing the known world. If there was anybody in the first century church who could get grabby, who could make demands, who could say, this is my right, and this is what we're going to do, it'd be Paul. But Paul in this letter doesn't demand his rights. He does make a really strongly worded set of requests to Philemon. It's clear what he wants, and we'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But, but Paul does not say, this is how it's going to be. And he could have. He could have just kept Onesimus by him. And keep in mind here, Paul is in prison. He's in prison, and there's this guy hanging out helping him there, and he's sending Onesimus away. He could have kept Onesimus there. He could, have, he could have sent Philemon a note saying, hey, Onesimus isn't your slave any longer. He's going to stay with me. You don't like it? Deal with it. But Paul doesn't do that. He says he could be bold and order Philemon to do this, but, but instead he appeals. He appeals to Philemon. He says he would have liked to keep Onesimus with him. He asked for him to be sent back, but he still does the right thing. He still sends this man back to his master. And what's more, Paul himself offers to pay Philemon back for any debts or damage or anything that Onesimus has ever done to wrong him. Paul is putting himself, voluntarily putting himself in the status of a slave. He's lowering himself to be vulnerable. He's throwing himself, Onesimus too, but he's throwing himself on the mercy of of Philemon and letting Philemon decide what to do next. There's a couple places in our reading for today and in the letter where Paul talks about how he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And we automatically read that as he's a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's true. Paul was in prison because of his work for Jesus But there's another meaning to that too. Paul is a prisoner of Jesus Christ in the sense that he is so captivated by Jesus. He is so enthralled by Jesus that that all of his actions, everything he does, how he approaches life is all bound up with the Lord Jesus. And the pattern of Jesus' life was to become a prisoner for other people. The pattern of Jesus' life was to be arrested and executed to give us life. And because Paul has experienced that reality, he's able to put himself in a position to help other people. Because Paul experienced the reality that Jesus gave everything for him, Paul is willing to give up everything for other people. He doesn't need to throw his power around. He doesn't need to be grabby. Because Christ worked in him, Paul could lay down his life for other people. Are we willing to do that? When we have spiritual or financial or emotional or whatever kind of power, do we hold on to it? Do we grab after more? Do we enjoy our privilege and position? Or do we lay it down? 
do we lay it down for other people? Let's talk about Philemon now. Philemon, the one who received this letter from Paul via Onesimus. And the word Philemon actually comes from a Greek word for love. Philemon means love or something in that category. And that, that's interesting because the question that Philemon leaves us with is, does Philemon choose to live out the love of Christ or not? Philemon gets this letter with these requests from Paul, and what, what does he do next? And we don't know. We don't know. Maybe Philemon was really grabby. Maybe he stands on his right and he does the expected thing as a wealthy man and a slave owner and he punishes Onesimus. And if Philemon doesn't do that, he's going to lose a lot of respect in his household and his community. Hey, that Philemon, his slaves can run away. He doesn't do anything about it. That guy does not know how to manage his household. Philemon could take the natural path. But maybe he didn't do that. Maybe Philemon is gracious. Maybe he acts out of love of Christ. Maybe he sees the newfound usefulness of his slave. Maybe he sees this guy as a dear brother in Christ. And maybe he lays down his own rights for the good of Onesimus, for the good of Paul, for the good of the cause of Jesus Christ. We don't know how Philemon responds. Now, we do have a guess. There's a church leader called Onesimus who shows up in some documents a few decades later, and it might have been this guy. Maybe, but we don't really know. And I think it's intentional that Philemon doesn't answer that question for us, and there's not a follow-up, the second letter to Philemon saying, oh, thank you for what you've done, or the other way. But I think the real question is not about Philemon, but about us. When we're faced with this kind of situation, what do we do? Again, what do we do with our power? What do we do when we have the opportunity to benefit ourselves or to make sacrifices for others? Are we always solidifying our own positions? Or are we working to build up the kingdom of God? When there aren't enough parachutes to go around... What do we do? There aren't enough parachutes to go around. Who are we? Who are we? And I know those aren't fair questions. I know they aren't fair questions. We can't, we can't answer them correctly. As I asked myself those questions this week, I cringed an awful lot of the time because they're uncomfortable. I mean, really, who is going to let someone else have their parachute? I mean, really? We're expected to do that? And maybe you're a better person than I am, and you can say, yeah, 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 I'd, I'd do that, I'd do that. But great. For the rest of us normal human beings here, these questions get us to where we need to be today. And where we need to be is not, I need to try harder, I need to do more, we probably do all need to try harder, but that's not the point. Where these questions need to get us is to look to Jesus. And that's the fourth and last person in this text that we'll talk about today, Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ. 
We need God's grace to live the kind of life that we see the book of Philemon call out for. We need God's grace to live selfless lives. Earlier we left Calvin and Hobbes frantically climbing higher and higher up the tree because because my mom is coming and she's going to kill us. And Calvin's mom comes and she looks at them up in the tree and she says, you can come down now. There you are. Come down so we can talk. And Calvin responds, no, you're going to kill us. We're running away. And Calvin's mom, as mothers do, responds, I'm not going to kill you. Really, I'm not going to kill you. I just want to know what happened. Are you okay? Did anyone get hurt? It's all okay. The car, the car is fine. Are you okay? Did anyone get hurt? Come down. Let's go home. Now, Calvin still isn't convinced. He's worried his mom is just putting on an act. So, so he says, before I'll come down, first, let me hear you say you love me. Before I'll come down, tell me you love me. Even when his mom's come out to find him and told him it's all okay, he needs to be reassured that she's not angry. But his mom and his dad, they really aren't that worried about the car, right? I mean, they are, but not really. They're worried about their kid. They're worried about his safety. I think we often, even as believers, we run run away from God because we feel like, I'm just not good enough. I messed up again. I didn't do that thing that I was supposed to do. I did do that thing that I wasn't supposed to do. And so we're often scared of God. We're often running away because we know I'm just not good enough and what am I going to do? We do that. But when God comes to us, he doesn't come first of all with, what did you do to the car? He comes with, are you okay? I love you. I love you. Are you okay? We don't need to run away from God. He's come to find us. Even when we mess up, even when we get it wrong for the 200th time, he still comes to us. I love you. Are you okay? And more than that, Jesus makes us okay. I asked earlier, who's going to give up their parachute and go down with the plane? And the answer is Jesus. When we were going to crash, Jesus came and he delivered us and he went down with the plane. He laid down his life for ours. He descended himself into hellish pain and agony. He went through death for us. And the more we grasp the grace of God, and it'll take us an eternity to grasp the grace of God, but the more we grasp the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ, the more free we are and the more free we are to serve others. When we really grasp that Jesus has us in his care and that we are eternally safe in him, then we can step out into the hard and even the impossible things that he calls us to do. When we really grasp that Jesus went down with the plane for us, that he laid down his life for us, when we really get that, 
we can lay down our power and our prestige and sometimes even our very lives for the good of others. I'm calling this sermon series Valued and Useful. And that's really the point here. Jesus values us. Jesus values us. Jesus loves us enough to die for us. We are among God's most treasured possessions. And as we grasp that reality, as we grab hold of the reality that God values us, we become more and more able to give our lives away. The more we grab hold of the reality that we are God's own sons and daughters, the less grabby we need to be about everything else in life. And the more we hold on to Jesus, the more useful we can be in his kingdom. Today, today, grab hold of that reality that we are God's valued and useful people. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in your grace you continue to work through us. And Father, if there are particular hard things that you are calling some of us to, we pray that you give us the strength we need to face them. Lord, if we need to seek reconciliation with someone, give us the grace we need to to seek forgiveness and to grant forgiveness. And Lord, if we need to challenge someone, if we need to point out something that's wrong or have a difficult conversation, then, then give us what we need to do that well. And Father, if we're on the opposite end of things and we need to rein ourselves in and, and get out of other people's way, then give us the grace and the restraint that we need to do that. Father, help us to recognize, help us to recognize how blessed we are and how much power all of us really do have in our lives. And Father, we pray that deeper than the economic or work or whatever power that we have, help us to see the spiritual power that we have in Christ. And pour out your power more on us through your Holy Spirit so that, we can, so that we can use what we have for the benefit of others. Give us opportunities to serve others, to work for their good, to lay down our lives for them just as Christ laid down his life for us. Father, we cannot do this without you. We pray for a greater measure of your Holy Spirit and of your grace and love. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.